0: Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder and partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to Venture Stories from Village Global. We're fortunate today to have with us Santiago Suarez, co-founder and CEO of Adi.com. And we'll let Santiago tell us a little bit about that business, and then we'll talk about his advice for Day Zero founders and early-stage founders as they're thinking about building their business and, importantly, taking their first money from investors. So, Santiago, over to you. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Absolutely. So, first of all, thank you, Anne. I'm delighted to be here. It was a little over a year ago that I did my first Venture Stories with Eric to talk about fintech. So I'm very happy to be talking about more general founder advice and some of the learnings along the way. Uh, Briefly about me, as you mentioned, co-founder and CEO of Adi. Adi is building the leading buy now, pay later company in Latin America with operations in Colombia and Brazil, backed by Andreessen Horowitz, Foundation Capital, Monashis, Quona, and of course, Village Global, who was our first investor in the company uh, over two years ago. And I'm delighted to be here.
1: Wonderful. Okay, so let's go back in the time machine to when you started. What do you know now that you wish you knew then?
0: The importance of focus. And it's funny because it's not like I started the company saying I shall start and be totally all over the place and an utter mess, but it is a lesson I learned every day. Every day you learn the importance of focus and working serially and not in parallel. I'm sure there will come a point where the company is big enough that you can just say, okay, we're going to be doing two or three, four things at the same time. We're at that transition in, in a number of ways, but in many other ways, one thing at a time. What is your North Star metric? What is the thing you're trying to do? And use that clarity to then drive your agenda and your schedule. I think it's that the most valuable resource you have as a, as a founder is your time. And if you know what you're focused on, it's very easy to then drive your agenda in support of
1: that focus. That seems like really amazing advice. And are there any particular techniques that you use? Like do you in the morning have a routine or anything that to help you keep that focus?
0: I do. The biggest one is I set my weekly goals. So we've got a limit of three goals and not just me, but my executive team also sits down and they say, these are my three priorities for the week. So every Monday morning or usually Sunday afternoons, I'll sit down and I'll say, what are the three priorities for the week? And then how do they relate to the agenda for the next five days? And then working with my assistant and, and, and a couple of other folks to say, are we optimizing around that? So for example, The biggest focus of the company last quarter was hiring. After going through an interesting 2020, uh, we really hit our growth ramp again. And we needed to bring, we we brought in 30 people in December alone for a company of 100 people. So that was crazy hiring pace. And it basically meant I had to clear my entire calendar for interviews. So then you say, okay, I'm going to put my calendar in service of that focus. So three goals, weekly goals, and then my days tend to be meaningfully better if I write down what I want to get done on pen and paper every morning. When I sit down and I start working, even though I save the five to 10 minutes of pausing and thinking, uh, my days tend to be meaningfully worse. And then what I do is probably once a month, now once a month, once a quarter, I kind of reassess and I say, am I spending my time, generally speaking, on the things that I should be spending my time? So is it still reasonable for me to tell our recruiting team, here's my calendar, do with it whatever you want? Probably not. Now we have a different focus. So you you adjust those bigger, call it strategic uh, priorities once a month, once a quarter.
1: Okay, smart advice. So let's shift gears a little bit because you have experience um, as an angel investor and advisor, as well as a founder, and you've worked with both YC and Village Global, and How do you think about different accelerators and the value that they can add?
0: The first thing that comes to mind is that uh, accelerators are like roommates, um, which is that most roommates suck. I think great roommates are the best. And obviously, when you get married, and I've been married now for two years, that is the ultimate roommate selection. You just chose a roommate for life. But absent a great roommate, you just don't want roommates, I think the same thing applies for accelerators. I think most accelerators are not a good user of your time and certainly not a good user of your cap table. I think what YC does incredibly well, and I have friends in there that I truly trust and I learned a lot there, is two things. Number one, incredible access to the capital market. It's just an incredible, incredible access to capital markets. And when I say capital markets, it's a fancy way of saying angel investors and venture capitalists. But it, it just works really well to make a very opaque Founder unfriendly market, very friendly. Uh, the dynamics around demo day, the dynamics around the batch, et cetera. It can also work against you because with big batches, uh, there's usually a fairly quick informal ranking that shows up. And if you happen to be company number 27 doing glass making in the batch and you're not the hot company, you probably were better off just raising on your own. Uh, but I think capital access is one. The other thing is they're relentless about focus. I love their focus. Relentless on traction, traction, traction. And obviously the community. And the community is great, not only because they have incredible founders there, like the Stripe guys, Airbnb guys, but also because if you're building a company that requires you to sell to startups, fantastic. You put it up and suddenly you've got a thousand clients ready to go, zero CAC. I think on the village side, and, and as you know, we went through the village accelerator. The thing is a little more custom. And I what I what I think is is probably the biggest difference is. It tends to be a lot more choose your own adventure and as a result, probably a lot more community oriented. And and I don't mean this as a diss on YC, but in a lot of of ways, it reminds me of the work you guys are doing and Eric, for example, does on OnDeck, which is really about this quite unusual access and building of a community. And what I think that that it, it does have, which I think is remarkable, is this luminary network. And the Luminator network, I, I always tell people, is kind of unusual because you'll get a lot of help at the beginning on the accelerator. And then you go through, call it the Series A, Series B, where there might not be a big reason for you to go to talk to Reed or Bill Gates or whoever. But once you enter into that growth stage, boom, suddenly the network like opens your eyes again and becomes incredibly valuable because you're, you're going to to use Reed's word, the masters of scale, right? So you can just go in directly to the source and get that mentorship and advice. And I think that's, I actually think that's incredibly long-term valuable for a founder.
1: Wonderful. Okay, well put. And now last vintage, which is our, our group of accelerator companies, you picked a company and you mentored that company. And what was that experience like for you?
0: Quite unique, to be honest, because I had never been able to, to do that before. You know, I think a lot of the work that I did when I was a part-time partner expert at YC very ad hoc, right? You have office hours, people would come, great relationships, but it wasn't this weekly cadence of partner with a founder and seeing them through. To be able to work with the founder and just reignite that optimism and see it again as I saw it when I started my company, right? Because one of the things that is hard for a founder to do when you're looking at your own company is step up and look up and realize the beauty of what we're trying to do. And I thought that was absolutely great. And the second thing is I was able to do meaningful, to have meaningful impact in a company's very early stage in things like fundraising, hiring, organization, strategy. So that was a lot of fun as well.
1: That's great. Well, it's an, another angle of operator angels that maybe doesn't get talked about enough is that being an operator angel helps you become a better operator because you are seeing other examples, right?
0: 100%. 100%. I think it makes you a better investor, but being an investor also makes you a better operator. It, it gets you out because at yes. the end of the day, it's so easy to forget that the decisions that will make or break the company are not the decisions you make every day, are the two or three decisions you make, I don't know, every month, maybe every week, then every month, then every quarter, then every year. And when you are in the trenches, you forget that. And you suddenly think, is the pixel going here or here is as important as do we enter into Brazil? And actually, the pixel can go wherever the pixel wants to go. It's irrelevant. Uh, Entering to Brazil is really key. And as an investor, you kind of move back to that capital allocation decision. And like big ideas, big decision framework. And as a founder, that's where you got to hang out. And it's hard because as an early stage founder, and certainly in the very early days, you're also just an operator. You have to execute. You go buy pizza. uh, You manage your calendar. You do the sales. You call clients. You do support. You fix tickets. You do, you're a jack of all trades. But you always have to remember that hustle alone has never made a company uh, succeed. It's, It's critical. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient.
1: Great point. That is a quotable quote. Busyness and uh, hustle is necessary but not sufficient. Awesome, Santi. Can you give some examples of companies you've backed as an angel investor?
0: Absolutely. So, uh, as a Village Network leader, um, I've been lucky enough to partner with you guys on a few deals. Um, a couple that come to mind. One, we're working with Chris Freib, who used to work with the Summer Brothers for a while, building let's call it the next generation integrated. HRIS for uh, Europe, uh, building a success of what Rippling has seen in the United States. And the other one, which is a company I mentored during the last batch is Protalento with Juan Aristizabal. And what they're doing, which I think it's absolutely inspiring, is building the next generation of Latin American technical talent. Because if there's one thing we know about Latin America is we lack technical talent and we lack technical founders. And nothing better than train them from the get-go, and give them the tools to succeed. And then the last company is uh, Colors, uh, uh, started by Rodrigo. Rodrigo is a serial entrepreneur, great founder, market fit. His family comes from the transportation business. He's building a startup to do transportation. And it is one of those really cool concepts where you don't just say, oh, I'm going to do Uber for Latin America or Instacart for Latin America. But you actually say, what can I learn about marketplaces? What can I learn about supply and demand? And what can I learn about direct customer acquisition? and apply it to a gigantic problem which is inner city travel in a world where most people can't afford a a plane ride. And and by the way, that is the vast majority of the world. So as US focused investors, sometimes we say, "Mm, is that an interesting, huge problem. And he's tackling using technology and using his experience as a serial entrepreneur in the space to boot.
1: Great, and we'll make sure that the links to those founders and their companies are in the show notes so people can find them. Fantastic. And so tell us a little bit more about your angel investing. What kinds of things interest you these days?
0: I love fintech. So all things fintech, um, I'm a huge fan of. A, I'm building a fintech company now, but B, I, I just think it's, a, it's an area I've spent over a decade in. I love the nuances. I, I like the details. And I also think I really appreciate how you can build on a system that has been hacked at for thousands of years. So I, I, I tend to bring maybe that a bit of an unusual perspective. I don't think we should burn it down and rebuild it from the ground up or whatever. And the second thing is Latin America. So Latin American founders working in fintech, but actually just people who are building great Latin American companies with a focus on technology. And the last thing I'll say is I'm probably 100% focused on first check deals. So working with the founder when there's nothing there, just from that incorporation of the company onwards. Like, do you have a lawyer? Uh, have you figured out a name? What's going to be your structure? I'm going from there.
1: Wow. So you are a first believer, which is obviously really aligned with the Village. If I were pitching you as a founder, what should I keep in mind?
0: I love love the concept of the idea maze that uh, Chris Dixon popularized a while ago. And in a nutshell, what he said, and I think biology then picked it up as well, and now everyone talks about it. But in a nutshell, what they say is a great founder, when you ask them a question, usually not only have they thought about the question, but they know the next question. They have also thought about that question. And then suddenly they say, but what you haven't really understood is that this is where we're headed. And they have this incredibly detailed mental map of where they want to go. Now, they're not tied to it. They'll obviously iterate on it, etc. And that is high, like incredibly compelling, particularly when you're investing in Latin America or in fintech, where it's very easy to get stuck in local maxima and not go for great outcomes. And the other thing, and you and I were speaking about this in a different context not too long ago, was speed. If you go back to the first question that we talked about, focus is important. And the, reason, the main reason focus is important is that it creates speed. The, actually, I would even probably argue the only reason focus is important is that it allows you to move fast. And founders that move fast and have a clarity of purpose and strategy will win. I used to think you needed to be technical. In the two areas I invest, which is fintech and Latin America, uh, that's actually not not as relevant. I think if I were investing in AI or enterprise software in San Mateo, maybe technical founders are critical. In these two areas and regions, i I, I no longer see that as a must.
1: Super. Is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't?
0: Probably the one thing that I've been thinking a lot about lately is something I read, I heard actually Anu Hariharan, who now runs YC Continuity and used to work on Reason for a while say, which is the importance of thinking about the possible future as the hallmark of a great investor. I think Bill Gurley said this in an interview uh, two weeks ago where he said, The wrong no will cost you 10,000 X because you just said no. The wrong yes will only cost you your investor, your investment. So you got to be a lot more focused on the yes than the no's. So I think as an, particularly as an angel investor, you got to get with the program. You got to, you got to join, hop on the magic carpet and go for the ride with the founder. See, like, if what this person says is true, where do we go and how big can this get? Versus here are the 27,000 reasons why this is not going to work. Like For early stage investing, that's not interesting. If you have a view on why Facebook's not going to work, that's quite interesting. But yeah, most companies don't work. Who cares? But what can we see about the future that gets us excited about things that will work?
1: And are there any startups you feel should exist in the world that don't today and you're looking for, actively looking for?
0: A few. Real-time payments in Latin America is a big one. How can we finally solve real-time payments? The other piece that I'm obsessed with is frictionless commerce. And we're just scratching the surface. And and this actually even missed most of the investor class. Not everyone. Some people made a bucket load of cash. But a lot of people thought this is a problem that doesn't need solving. And you just saw startups like Fast and Bold raise crazy rounds at great valuations. To build a better quote-unquote checkout experience. And I think if you had asked to most investors a couple of years ago, including some people that I've spent time with, they would say, oh, that's not a problem that needs to be solved. Amazon solved it. Shopify solved it. Who cares? You don't need that. First, how do you do? I mean, shopping cart abandonment rates, even in, in, in Latin America where I'm from, it's over 80%. There are call centers of people who dedicate, call you when you abandon your shopping cart. In the US, they just put a cookie and then they like plaster your Facebook with like spoons and pots but the the situation is so dire down here that they actually have a live human call you and say hey and we noticed you just navigated away from our site would you like to buy a spoon and that to me illustrates the incredible opportunity around frictionless commerce and i think we're just getting started and i love the idea of saying how do we make every transaction digital as frictionless as possible
1: clear and Going back to your comments about backing founders early, how do you think about a founder bet where you love the founder, admire their founder, and you don't like the space or you don't like the business? Would you still invest? My original
0: answer would have said no. And I think had you asked me a few months ago, I would have probably said no. But increasingly I think, yes. Uh, The problem is the bar is quite high for founders because Unfortunately, and so I think there are two things. Number one, I think most actual success in startups is driven by luck. And you see it time and time again. Great founders, they burn out on their startup, then they do something else and it works well. And timing is pretty critical. Timing is so key. So if you don't even have a thesis on, on timing, particularly in the areas I work in where subject matter expertise you hope will get you somewhere... I mean, Lord knows if I were a social media investor, I think I would have lost like multiple generations of wealth in both my investments, but perhaps more importantly, my my non-investments. So I think the answer is yes, but it has to be an absolutely stellar founder because it doesn't matter how good the team is. Uh, You know, it's kind of like that joke uh, Warren Buffett used to say, when a bad business meets a great management team, the business keeps its reputation. So doesn't matter how good the founder is. If the business is not going to work and the timing doesn't work, uh, they're not going to succeed.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. We hear sometimes we can love the problem and not love the solution of the founder because the solution might move around. But we got to believe the problem is big enough. But it's tricky because, as you know, some of these problems are nascent, right? The founders just got an insight about how big this could be. And it's hard to sometimes convey that at this early stage.
0: Oh, hundred percent. And I also don't think as an angel investor, I have any particularly better than market view on what's going to be the future. If I did, I should be a macro strategist and not a startup founder. And funnily enough, if you speak to people, you know, like Eric, who's been doing angel investing for years, you speak to folks like Dave McClure and some of these other like angel 1.0 legends, they'll tell you, we had no idea which of our investors are going to succeed. And, and I think the longer they do it, the more they say, it's about building the community. It's about founder support. It's about having access to great deals, but that no one actually knows which of the deals they underwrite at the time of underwriting are going to turn out to be great. I've certainly seen it in my portfolio. I wrote some things that I was like, oh, this is going to work really well. And some others that I was like, high conviction, but you never know. And those turned out to be quite great.
1: Yeah. it's a, Well, we're lucky. Again, work with great people doing audacious things, and some of them should work. So that's great. Well, Santi, thank you so much for making time. And if founders are trying to get their fintech and Latin American businesses backed, how should they reach you?
0: Santiago at adi.com. Um, so my first name, S-A-N-T-I-A-G-O at adi.com.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time today.
0: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here.